Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Today, we're talking bad guys. Author Aaron Blaby is here from Australia to attend the opening of a new computer animated film based on Aaron's hit book series, The Bad Guys. Aaron describes the series and the movie about a gang of criminal animals finally doing good as, quote, Tarantino for kids. Aaron is also the author of the Pig the Pug series and Thelma the Unicorn. Here is acclaimed author, Aaron Blaby. Hi, Aaron. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. You were here in 2018. It was such a joy. The moment you walked out of the podcast studio, I thought, I can't wait to get him back. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. So for listeners and young people we've acquired over the years, please tell us about the mega hit Bad Guys. Oh, well, my series, The Bad Guys, if you don't know it, is the story of some shady characters called Mr. Wolf, Mr. Shark, Mr. Snake, Mr. Piranha, and they have bad reputations, terrible reputations, in fact, but they decide they want to change those reputations and not be bad guys anymore. They want to be good and do good deeds, whether you like it or not. And during the last few years, this this series, I began it in 2014, 15, I think, and it was popular straight away, which was a, a big deal for me because my books had never really been popular before that, other than Pig the Pug, which happened the same year. But when this took off, it really, really took off. And in those few years now, it's reached, I think we've just passed 20 million copies of The Bad Guys. And on top of that, it is now been adapted into a genuinely cool movie by DreamWorks Animation that I was an executive producer on. So it has been an extraordinary journey in the last decade with this particular series that is set in a universe that I get to live in every day when I make it. And that makes me a very happy person. First, congratulations. The movie is spectacular. It's not a complete surprise to you that you have a movie out with DreamWorks. Could you tell us a little bit about what you thought when you first created Bad Guys? What was the idea? Well, the, the, the Bad Guys was created for a couple of reasons, but the main one was that I have two kids, two boys, and my youngest, when he was six years old, he's 14 now, but when he was six, he was bringing home books from school that he found so boring they would make him cry. They would, he would literally sit on the sofa and sob when it was time to read. <laughs> and I thought, i got to do something to fix this. And at the time, two things, he loved scary animals and cool cars. And I'd been thinking about doing a book about prejudice and about characters who were being judged because of the way they looked and their, because of their reputations, but that didn't sound like much fun necessarily. But then I suddenly thought, well, what if I took that and combined it with the scary animals and the cool cars and had scary animals being judged because of the way they looked? And then I was thinking about, well, what did I love when I was his age? What would be really fun? And then I thought, you know what? And this is a weird idea. I don't know why I thought this, but then I thought, well, what do I love now, actually? And I was thinking about heist movies and, and action movies and Tarantino movies. And I, I thought that's none of that is for kids, but I thought, well, what if I could take, because when I was a little boy, 
I used to like, I always wanted to get my hands on stuff that I wasn't allowed to get my hands on. I think a lot of kids are like that. I know my, uh, they wanted to, like I, when I was a kid, I wanted to watch sort of scary movies or action movies. And my parents would go, no, you're too young. And that really frustrated me. And I thought, I think a lot of kids feel like that. So I thought, what if I could take the iconography of that stuff and hotwire it so that it was directly for kids, not inappropriate in any way, but looked and felt like something that kids, when they got their hands on it, would go, I can't believe this is for me. And when I wrapped that up, with the scary animals and the idea about prejudice and all of those things twisted together. The bad guys the very next day kind of just popped into my head, fully formed, Mr. Wolf and Mr. Snake and Mr. Shark. And I wrote it down in a single sentence, the one that I basically said to you at the beginning of this conversation. And I sent it to a friend. I texted it to my friend Lucy. And 30 seconds later, she texted back, that sounds like a DreamWorks movie. <laughs> about 20 minutes into this book series being existing in the universe. Somebody said those words. And of course, I didn't take it seriously at the time, nor did she. But what do you know? Three years later, I was talking to DreamWorks or two years later or whenever it was. And now here we are nine years later. And there's this gigantic big thing about to explode across the US tomorrow. It's hard to articulate how extraordinary it is to be in the middle of something like that, especially because that happened to me. I wrote this and Pig and Thelma, the unicorn, when I was 40. And before that, I had been going nowhere fast for a really long time. You know, I'd been doing a lot of things that didn't work. You know, I could never quite stick the landing. And the books that I'd written were could never quite find an audience. And then when this happened, it's what's really great is to find this at this point in my life has been so wonderful because I know what it feels like to release a book and have the world kind of go, meh, you know, and then to do this and see it embraced by so many people and knowing that when I create a new Bad Guys book twice a year, that there are, the fact that there are literally millions of children waiting for the next one is extraordinary. It's, it's, it's such a privilege. It is extraordinary. So the sweet spot, we would say, is maybe ages 7 to 10? Yeah, maybe 6 to six, or even I, You know what? In my head, it's, it's slightly wider. It's sort of 6 to 12 in my head. That's who I'm writing for. Could you read an excerpt from one of the books? Sure. Uh, this is the first book is here. I, I want to preface this by saying online on YouTube, you can currently hear the wonderful Mr. Sam Rockwell read this same thing. So... I need everybody to put that out of their minds before you hear me fumble my way through it. He does it really well. But nevertheless, here we go. This is the opening of the first book of the Bag Eye series. Chapter one, Mr. Wolf. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Get over here. I said, get over here. What's the problem? Oh, I see. Yeah, I get it. You're thinking, oh, it's a big, bad, scary wolf. I don't want to talk to him. He's a monster. Well, let me tell you something, buddy. Just because I got big pointy teeth and razor sharp claws and I occasionally like to dress up like an old lady. That doesn't mean I'm a bad guy. And there's his rap sheet. Mr. Wolf, alias Big Bad, Mr. Choppers, Grandma, Address the Woods, Criminal Activity, Blowing Down Houses. The three pigs involved were too scared to press charges. Impersonating sheep, breaking into the homes of old women, impersonating old women, attempting to eat old women, attempting to eat the relatives of old women, theft of nightgowns and slippers. It's dangerous. Do not approach. It's all lies, I tell you. But you don't believe me, do you? Because I'm the bad guy, right? Wrong. I'm a great guy. I'm a nice guy, even. And I'm not just talking about me. I've got some buddies who have the same problem, so I've asked them to join us. Any minute now, they'll be walking right through that door. They're great guys, but like me, they are misunderstood. So don't go anywhere, okay? No, seriously, don't even think about it, okay? <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. 
I must say, our American audience will not be surprised to hear you were an actor of some renown in Australia in your previous life. I was an actor, but uh, I was, and I've been, I can say this without a, a trace of false modesty. I truly believe I was a dreadful actor. But that said, um, all the, the, the fact that I did that, I did it for about 10 years, which is an embarrassingly long time to do something that you ultimately realize you never, I, 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 I just never felt comfortable doing it the way that I do with this. I became an actor because I love movies so deeply and I love storytelling so deeply, but I made a teenage choice to, you know, go, well, maybe I should be in front of the camera. And in fact, what never, I never felt comfortable, but as soon as I began creating the actual universe and the stories, I became as comfortable as a person can be. So I just, I just simply put myself in the wrong job. We can say you're creative and that is an understatement. The illustrations are extraordinary. I feel like that doesn't get enough attention. So tell us how your artistic talents grew over time. I, because of my deep frustration with my life as an actor, because I, again, I just didn't feel like I was, was working for me. I began to paint. I don't really know why. I saw, I remember when it happened though, I saw a book about Picasso in a bookstore and I became weirdly obsessed with it and became more and more, got more and more interested in art, started painting, did terrible paintings for a couple of years, but then they sort of started to get a little bit better and I did some exhibitions and the paintings kind of sold. And um, it gave me a bit of encouragement. But the thing that I missed was storytelling. I was painting them. And you, could, you, could, you can paint in a way that is narrative, but mine just felt a little bit of empty somehow. And what I missed, and then it seems like so obvious, but I thought, well, what if I took words and put them with images? And then what a, <laughs> a mind-blowing concept. But that's what I did. And I wrote my first picture book. And it was really warmly received in Australia, but it, it kind of didn't go anywhere. And then same with the next one, same with the next one. And about a, a decade went by where I was putting the books out and not quite connecting. But what I was doing each time was developing this visual style. Almost, almost unconsciously as I was doing it, I was creating a visual look and all my first books were about people and humans. And then it was, I had a new publisher at Scholastic, Andrew Burkett at Scholastic, asked me to do a book. And he had one suggestion. He said, could you do what you do, but try doing it with animals? Again, seemingly an obvious uh, idea, but I, it never crossed my mind. And of course, as soon as I did, the first thing I did was the pig and pig and the bad guys. And <laughs> um, But this, the drawings is something that it takes the most time of my year, nine months of the year is doing the finished art. I really love doing it. I f I'm scared every day uh, because I'm, I feel extremely limited as a draftsman, but I think that's part of the charm of the books. I feel like I'm constantly right at the limit of what I can do. I, I describe it as I always feel like I'm driving a, a car with bald tires on an icy road when I'm trying, <laughs> when I'm trying to uh, figure out how to draw certain things. And the books have become visually more complicated. There's more architecture and machines and vehicles and whatever. But yeah, I think the development personally, it's been really sort of on a little quite personal level. The last 10 years has been really satisfying for me to go from very limited confidence with my drawing to, to feeling like I kind of within my little world, I can do stuff. And I think the, probably the biggest strength is capturing the emotional life of the characters. Yes. And I, that comes very easily to me to be able, and perhaps that is connected to the acting thing. I don't know. Oh, interesting. But maybe there's something in that. And I, I do know my kids occasionally come into the studio when I'm drawing 
and find it hilarious because I unconsciously am often pulling the face that I'm drawing. I don't, I, I'm not aware that I'm doing it, but I, I think I look pretty crazy when I'm drawing the books. <laughs> but, you know, that's how I can live with that. Is there a character whose personality you particularly gravitate towards or you uh, enjoy? You know what? I was thinking about this. I was talking about this yesterday with my, my wife. It's kind of a new thought. But I, I always say that Mr. Snake is my favorite of the bad guys because he's he's the one who struggles the most with the journey, which makes him the most interesting to write. However, what I was talking about with Kirsty yesterday was I think Mr. Wolf and Mr. Snake, kind of two halves of me. I feel like, and I think we all have it, like your your optimistic side and your pessimistic side. And and Mr. Wolf has been judged his whole life. But he he thinks, no, there's a better life and I, I can change people, have the way people think about me and there's something better up in the future. And Snake is the guy who goes, I'm a snake. Everybody hates me, so I'm going to be a snake, you know. And, <laughs> and the, the, it's about the tension between those things. And it suddenly occurred to me that I feel like the, the glass is half empty versus the glass is half full sides of your personality is kind of wolf and snake. And I kind of feel like they are literally the two halves of, of me and the tension between those two things that helps me make stuff. And then my kids said, does that mean that mum is Mr. Piranha because she's tiny and volatile, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, but I think there's something in that. And I think it's why I, um, I don't know. I have a, 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 what I love about Snake is that the struggle he finds to stay on the, on the right path He's going to he's kind of he's sort of always falling off the wagon in that respect. And I, and I, I, I don't know, I just find that inherently really interesting. And he's sort of in many ways, Snake has become, if, you, if you're following the whole story arc, the whole 20 episodes of the bad guys, he's, he's kind of the center of the story. In many ways, to use a Star Wars analogy, he's kind of my Anakin Skywalker. He's my character who became Darth Vader and then finds redemption at the very end of the, of the story. And I, and I think that's what he's become. And I, and I, and I, because of that complexity, I love him. Falling off the wagon in Snake's case means eating everyone and everything in sight. <laughs> Just for our listeners. Oh, and, and by the way, one of the most joyous things for me about the movie is the fact that the movie is peppered with moments from the books, but the fact that the trailer for the movie featured two moments prominently that are directly from the books. One of them is them trying to unsuccessfully get a cat out of a tree, and the yeah. second one is Mr. Snake eating all the animals that he's trying to rescue is, is uh, such a delight that that has those two moments that have been in my life since this very first two books. The fact that they decided to use those to promote the movie was so cool. It's got to be uncanny to see your illustrations to your creations on the big screen. It's really pretty cool. And like the cat in the tree, the cat in the tree, as far as I was concerned, which is a moment from the very first book, that was the moment for my from my perspective, where I felt like I was really onto something when I wrote the first one, I, I just found that genuinely funny as I was writing it. And the fact that it was never in question, DreamWorks always said, no matter what happens, that scene is in the movie and it was finding the right place to put it in. But it is, there's just something, I don't know, hysterically funny about it, you know, and it's, it's great. It's, it's one of those little, it's, the, it's the, probably the moment in all of my books is nearly, by the time I'm done in two years' time with all the books I've been doing, There'll be 48 books. And I think if I had to pick one thing that I'm the proudest of, it's probably the cat in the tree scene. I think so anyway. <laughs> I love that. Well, speaking of the movie, Sam Rockwell, who voices the wolf, had the exact voice I heard in my head when I was reading the books. It's, it's uncanny. How did that 
marriage happen? Oh, we're just, we're so fortunate to have this cast. And because the centre of my universe since I was a little boy is movies, I, and I, I was only child, we moved around a lot. I was a new kid at school all the time. So I, like the VHS tape were, was pivotal for my happiness as a child. We just watched movies and movies and movies and I always have. So I am familiar and across the work of most actors really intimately. I try to see every movie that comes out. I really do. Every In Australia, movies come out on a Thursday and I try to see them, everything that comes out. So I'm across the work of everybody in this movie and have been for years. Sam Rockwell, I have been a fan since his very first film called, I think called Lawn Dogs. He did just before The Green Mile back in the 90s. I remember seeing him and going, who is that guy? And then <laughs> and then seeing the Green Mile and going, oh, it's him. Oh, wow. And then I realized that the scope, the, the breadth of this guy's talent. So uh, the fact that he's Mr. Wolf is, uh, you know, what do you say? It's inc- it's insane. Um, and <laughs> and it's, it was the same across the board with this. I, I put together my list of dream list of, of actors for these roles. And, of course, DreamWorks don't need any help in that department because they have an amazing casting department. However... They were really inclusive and wanted to know what I thought. And our lists happily completely coincided. Um, I was pushing very, very hard from the beginning for Craig to be Craig Robinson, to be Mr. Shark. And Aquafina was flat out the only person on my list for Mr. Angela. And I'd adored Anthony's work, obviously, in Hamilton. I hadn't seen him perform until In the Heights, but he's a you know family favourite of ours. And as for Mark, Mark was the only performer because this was a few years ago when we were doing the casting discussions and it was uh, Glow hadn't been released yet. And he was the only cast member whose work I wasn't particularly familiar with and they sent me one of his stand-up routines. And I told him this the other day. I did Mark's podcast and I, 10 seconds into this stand-up routine, I started writing an email going, please cast him. Please, please, can we make this happen? Can Because he, he, he was just instantaneously the only voice I could hear from Mr. Snake. This is Mark Maron. Mark Maron, yeah. And beyond that, Zazie Beetz glues the whole movie together. She's extraordinary in this film. As my, It's the version of my agent Fox. He's Diane Foxington in the movie. And the absolutely delightful Richard Iowati. For fans of the IT crowd was um, Morris Moss, which is one of our family favourites. He plays Marmalade. They're extraordinary, all of them. It's one of the cool, flat-out coolest casts of all time in an animated film, I think. Absolutely. So great. Now, what do your young fans tell you about the books? What do they love the most? I get the feeling that like I was, like the initial impulse was to just make sure that my son had a book to read that was fun. And I think that is the the element that caught on. I hesitate to use the word coolness, but I guess there is about the series that kids just gravitate towards. They do seem to find it genuinely funny. And I'm always writing with one eye on that. There's obviously there's positive messaging underneath in this series about not judging a book by its cover and all of those things. But I think I try to put that in almost subliminally. If you ask a kid, what's it about? They'll tell you the themes instantly. But I think I wrap it all up in stuff that is just rollicking good fun. And there's, like I was saying earlier, I think there is the the hint of it when kids, I, th- I think it's why the first book took off so suddenly in book fairs around the country in the United States is I think when kids saw the cover with the guys in the suits with the, you know, a shark <laughs> and a wolf and this title, the bad guys, I think it, there's just this sort of frisson of that looks a little bit naughty. And I think there's just that hint of naughtiness about the whole series. 
that kind of does exist in its own space in the world of children's books. And I, I, I didn't set out to to do that, but I do feel like it is, you know, and, and it means that I have days in my studio because I work like 90% of the time alone in my studio. Right. I have days where I feel like I've completely lost my mind. I, I'm writing the series and drawing it and going, this this series is insane. And each time I release one, I go, is this the one where everybody goes, this, this series is crazy. But each time one comes out, there seems to be more kids reading it than the one before, which is amazing. I'm just, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't be more grateful for that because, again, I know what the opposite situation feels like. I would like to think, and, and like the movie, I would like to think that it's my best takeaway from the movie would be that, especially after the last couple of years, my dream with this is that families just have the best time they've had of the movies in a long time watching this film because I think it is just. It's a bit like I, I, when I saw the premiere in Sydney. There was a couple of kids in front of me who were not part of our family. They were just randomly in front of us who during the, the car chase sequences were literally throwing their arms in the air like they were on a theme park ride. They were just having the best time ever and shrieking <laughs> all the way through it. And that was like, wow, this is, this is, this is pretty good. So, yeah, I, look, I just hope people have fun with it. I would imagine striving readers in particular are so empowered and getting the feeling of reading a book and finishing the book and getting through the cliffhangers must be a terrific experience for them. I hear a lot. And I guess if there's one thing I'm, I'm proudest of with the series is hearing that reluctant readers, kids who are nervous about reading, kids who flat out don't like reading, like my son was to hear that the bad guys has become something of a gateway to other books as as a as a book series that if they are struggling with reading they can latch onto and they not only can tolerate reading it they enjoy reading it to the point where they want to read it again or more importantly go what happens next when is the next one out can i get the next one now please is a dazzlingly satisfying situation to have found myself in because it's, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I actually get overwhelmed when I think about it and I try not to think about it too much because I get overwhelmed. Um, if, <laughs> if I do think about it, the fact that there are so many kids reading it now and you do wonder how many of those kids would not be reading if they hadn't found the series, you know, so that's, that's pretty cool. It really is, yeah. Aaron. I would imagine your sons now are creative directors <laughs> on the Bad Guys series. They're teenagers now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and look, this this trip to the States has been, because it's been um, predominantly for the premiere of the movie, has been, you know, a, a, I think potentially a life-changing experience for the boys. And um, they've grown up so differently to me when I was growing up. Everything I wanted to do, I grew up in country towns, and everything I wanted to do, um, I was sort of, apart from my parents who were gorgeous about it, um, everybody I met really tried to discourage me from trying to do anything creative with my life because it just seemed like crazy. And I had to push and push and push throughout my life to just keep on the path of just that following my instinct, even when it wasn't working out. My boys, on the other hand, are living a life now where they're seeing the dreams come true on a, on a, on a day-to-day yes, basis, yes. which is a very, you know, it's a strange situation for me and my wife to see happening and, and, they they got the once in a lifetime experience. I mean, I've been to DreamWorks many times, but they hadn't been. And on this trip, they got a tour around from the director of the movie and got to see the factory floor where it all happens. And they got to go into the the hallowed recording booth where everybody from Jack Black to Will Ferrell to whomever has stood there and done their voiceovers. And yeah, it's 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 um they're they're living a they're, they're having a pretty special experience at the moment. And I was I was 
enormously relieved because I was worried that because it was written for them when they were little, I was worried as big teenagers now, they might be a little bit too cool for uh, like an animated <laughs> film. But I think the film is so hip that they just, they it didn't even cross their minds. They yeah. just love it. So yeah, it's it's been it's been very exciting to see that. And especially because, you know, as a family, it was a happy accident and a life-changing one, but a happy accident that kids beyond my children liked the books. It was very much written directly for these two. You know, and the fact that they've been on this journey with us. It's interesting, though, because their consciousness, they were very young. So all the struggle, the 20 years of things not working out before this, they're oblivious to, you know. It's just like, yeah, okay, of course you can make stuff happen. Look what he's doing. It's just dad. It's just dad in the garage. I mean, this is how I'm going to be. So, you know. Oh, that's priceless. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's wonderful. So what's next for the bad guys? What can we look forward to? Um, the bad guys... Uh, there's 20 episodes and I have, and it does definitively end at episode 20. I have just finished writing 17 and 18. So I'm getting towards the business end of the series. So this, I did two a year. And when I arrived in the US about a month ago, and the timing was weirdly perfect, I arrived and almost immediately got COVID. So I then, but it was funny because yeah. I, I, I didn't get, I didn't get, I didn't get sick. I was, I was asymptomatic, um, but I knew, you know, when I was over here, I thought you've got to, you because I was over here for the movie, I thought, but you still have to write, you've got to get this done. And then I had a, a, a ironclad reason to be locked in a room for 10 days. So I, in isolation, I wrote the, these two and it did occur to me that next year, because I do two a year, next year will be the last time I sit down and write the bad guys. It's there's episode 19 and 20 is the big finish. I honestly don't know how I'm going to feel after that. There will be on some level, a feeling of, because I do an 80 to 90 hour week these days. I have a new series coming out, I think called Cat on the Run, which is set in the universe, same universe as the bad guy. That plus all the movies in production, which is Cat on the Run and Thelma the Unicorn and, and eventually Pig and the bad guy. So many things happening. I've been thinking about when the, this finishes, there will be a certain relief to just be able to take the foot off the accelerator in terms of the amount of hours I'm doing. But at the same time, I can't imagine my life without doing this every day. So yeah, I really don't know <laughs> where I've, whether I'm whether I'm <laughs> heading towards a wall here or not. I don't know. I don't it's just it's a strange feeling. I genuinely had been looking for this my whole life. The bag the bad guys very specifically I'd been looking for. I've been describing it to people all week and it's true. I saw I remember the moment. I was it was I was about six or seven. I don't remember which, but I saw The Empire Strikes Back with my mother, the Star Wars movie. And from that moment it felt like, which is weird for a kid, but it's true. They felt like there was this kind of hole that I could never quite fill. There was a kind of, I'd see the movie and I loved it so much that I wanted to absorb it somehow, eat it. I just wanted to be like be in it or I, I can't articulate it. And I could never quite fill that. And it happened to me during my life with a couple of other pivotal movies as I got older and Reservoir Dogs was one when I was an adult. I could never quite fill that. And then when I found the bad guys, that hole was filled and it was filled in such a way that I was able to funnel everything that I ever loved and channel it into something that was entirely mine and I, and I built the universe. Um, and that is so significant and so gigantic. When I'm not actively doing that every day, I don't know how I'll feel. I have a feeling you're going to walk around the block and inspiration will strike. <laughs> You'll see a cat in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, maybe. Maybe I think I, I, look, I what I'll do. I might lie down for a little while first, yeah, and, get a then, rest. and then I'll and get then I'll go, do, go for another walk. Yeah. Well, Aaron, this feels so momentous, like a, a moment in history. I'm so happy for you and your family and for all of the readers. You've given them the joy and power of reading, and that's what it's all about. Oh, thank you for saying that. It's lovely. My great thanks again to Aaron Blaby for joining me today. And thank you for listening. To learn more about the bad guys, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash podcast. Special thanks to producer Bridget Benjamin, associate producer Constance Gibbs, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I am Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time. <laughs>